0: Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Fat transfer. How long is recovery on a surgery like that?
1: Part of the process is making sure you identify the the things pre-op and then take time to address them. I think many people take so much time in the decision-making process to have surgery, but then they want to get it done. Like they have to just get it done. I just want to make sure that Morgan has the best possible, shortest recovery that she because that'll make you the happiest then afterwards spend enough time with us so that we get you off to the right track with hyperbaric oxygen therapy or lymphatic massage therapy and really lymphatic massage helps get your body to detox you more quickly so the fluid or the swelling you experience it can be dissipated much more quickly through lymphatic massage
0: Hello everyone, I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today I'm excited to welcome Dr. Robert Whitfield, a board-certified plastic surgeon who specializes in breast implant removal and helping women restore their health after breast implant illness. He is also sought after for his Holistic Accelerated Recovery Program, which focuses on reducing inflammation while patients are prepping for surgery or recovering from procedures. In this episode, Robert will be sharing his expert knowledge of breast implant illness, symptoms to look out for, and the pros and cons of undergoing any implant surgery. Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hello, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. I'm
1: great. Thanks for having me and beyond. I use your products and have for some time.
0: Oh my God. I love it. It's, it's amazing. Um, So I'm super excited to chat about this. I feel like five years ago, every influencer on Instagram was building a house and now every influencer on Instagram is getting their breast implants removed. This is like... This is like the hottest trending health thing I that n- not a lot of people are talking about, but it's everywhere. I have multiple friends who have done the surgery recently, and you are like the go-to guy. So how did you get here? Um, what do we need to know about breast implants? And like give us the lowdown.
1: Well, sure. Uh, so I'm in Austin, Texas, and I got here after basically 13 years of training and a stint in academics. So after about 19 years, I came to Austin and just went into a group practice. And after about five years, I started a solo practice. But towards the end of the group practice, a breast cancer patient came to me for a consultation regarding going flat. And so over the course of that 19 years of work, I had from... You know many many years uh, breast cancer reconstruction had patients occasionally want to go flat it's more of a trend now that that is is um a requested you know outcome
0: but were you also putting implants in is that right for your previous those previous 19 years yeah
1: so mostly what i did was reconstructive microsurgery so for cancer i would make someone a jaw i would do breast reconstruction using your own tissue from the tummy and I had a particular uh, niche in doing uh, sarcoma reconstruction. So I really worked all over the body doing cancer reconstruction. Okay. Got it. And so from time to time, we would do implant-based reconstruction and to a far lesser degree, based on my schedule, cosmetic uh, augmentations. So mostly I would get patients who had failed breast reconstructions with implants that then I would remove and do what and I did up. in terms of uh, a reconstruction called a DIEP free flap. So I had a patient with an implant-based reconstruction who did not want any more reconstructive surgery. She just wanted all the implant material removed. And so when you do that in my you know, training and practice, I did a particular way where I took all the scar tissue out anyway. And then we would test everything to make sure there's no recurrent cancer, no infection. And basically, this lady had an undiagnosed E. coli infection. And so that was really weird to me. I went back through all the notes. I couldn't like figure out how I missed it. And it was there clearly. And so she just had fatigue for these like several years and and nobody could figure out what was wrong. And so I was just like, oh, man, if if this is really a, a big part of this. And fast forward, she put me on a Facebook group and I just had people start coming to me out of the woodwork and Great. wanting explants and my office is like, why do they keep calling here? What an explant. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I don't know. And basically I, I presume she put me on this uh, message group uh, on Facebook. And then from there, the rest is, is history. The, the, the thing that I was concerned about. And when I started seeing patients, they would come to me and, and they had a lot of complaints that I think and I'll, I'll for your audience. I'll say, it's confusing for providers who are taking care of patients when they have lots of different complaints all over the body because it doesn't right. make a lot of sense. The, the doctors and we're trained to recognize patterns and then come up with a, a treatment plan based on what we think the potential problem is. And so the, the, one of the very first times a patient came to me and said they had brain fog, I was like, okay, Morgan, tell me what brain fog is to you right. because I don't, I don't know that concept like explain to it and basically you would say hey rob it's dr rob it's i forget what my keys are sometimes or i can't remember my kids names or i left the groceries in the car all things we've probably done but it's happening all the time at a very very early age and it gets blamed on all sorts of things you know uh women who've had stress, kids or, just or yeah. stress or <laughs> fatigue or um like the postpartum thing is happens up. a lot. You're
0: hormonal. Yeah. yeah,
1: and yeah. so and, uh, to me, that's just short-term memory loss. So I characterize it in something that I understood, you know, as short-term memory loss. And in a young person, that's very concerning. That shouldn't happen. So I just have remained curious about the, you know, the the symptoms and you know the the complaints that women would come to me with, and they're like, I mean, it's a laundry list. It affects every system of the body. And I think, you know, fast forward over seven years, I can tell you how I feel breast implant illness should be looked at. It should be looked at as chronic inflammation. The breast implant is simply one component of a continuum of chronic inflammation. How you get there is a very, very interesting um, journey. You know, it starts with your parents. You can't pick your parents and you can't outrun a bad diet. So if your parents gave you basically poor enzymatic detox function, well, you have that. Now, if you have a bad diet, you maybe live in a moldy place, get exposed to a bunch of different things where you work or live, Um, you can see how what I'm going to say makes a lot of sense if you build up a certain amount of toxicity and you have only so much ability to detox it based on your genetics, then you're going to get symptomatic. I think we can all agree that makes sense. And I have a bunch of patients who have mold exposures, environmental toxin exposures, heavy metal exposures. Um, they have difficulty with gluten like I do. I, I can't have gluten. I'm not celiac, but I, I don't do well with gluten. They may yeah. have a bunch of foods that trigger them. They may have parasitic overgrowth in their gut or candida overgrowth in their gut or H. pylori or whatever. I mean, there's just a litany of problems. So I think, you know, the world is not getting to be an easier place to live in. All the time, it's getting harder. So it's it's no wonder that people have more trouble. And uh, these kind of chronic inflammatory symptoms are not just breast implant associated. You can have a hip implant, a knee implant, a dental implant, cardiac implant. I mean, nobody's immune to that. Hmm. And that's how I so, think of
0: it. Yeah. And so in this E. coli case, like, is the implant in, in itself, like, in carrying the E. coli? Then, like, you remove the implant and the E. coli infection goes away.
1: Right. So it's a great question. So, like, they're like everybody wants to know how that got there. Right. So did it happen at the time of insertion? Like, if I'm the surgeon, did I put it in there with the implant? You know, somehow was it contaminated? <laughs> Or somehow did the staff give me something that had, you know, the material on there, and then I put it inside. So those are two out of the three ways you can have that happen. The third is by hematogenous spread. And so for the audience, like anytime you have a cold, anytime you have a urinary tract infection, anytime you have a, uh, you know, basically they call it translocation, but when your bacteria leak from your gut into your your bloodstream... Then you can contaminate any device because the device, so it has no blood supply. It's just a device. It's, it's not alive. So whether it's a hip implant, knee implant, you know, a heart valve implant, all that stuff can get infected. So it's no wonder that people get biofilms, which is what I'm talking about on devices, and these have been around for a long period of time. Biofilms were created by bacteria that don't want to be killed by your immune system. So they secrete this goo, if you will, it's like a sugary goo, so your immune system can't get rid of them. And the bacteria that's most commonly found on implants and the breast implant uh, that I see is Cutibacterium acnes, which is on our chest, face, neck, and shoulders.
0: Interesting, okay. So you're saying this, these breast implants can be like a component of this overall inflammation that certain people may be more or less susceptible to based on their own genetics. What percent of people with breast implants do you think are suffering and maybe don't know? Or I don't know, like how pervasive do you think the problem is? Like, do people notice a discernible difference in their health when the implants are removed? And like, do you think it's a situation where almost like nobody should be putting in breast implants?
1: Uh, so I can give you the genetic profile that has the most trouble. Um, yeah. Like
0: MTHFR mutation, I'm guessing. Yeah. If
1: you have poor ability to metabolize vitamin D, poor ability to methylate, which is part of the MTHFR, uh, it's one of the five genes. If you have an inability or limited ability to handle environmental toxins, heavy metals, chemicals you may get exposed to, that's your in your liver, your how you manage your glutathione and then the final ones are antioxidant pathway which is things like vitamin c so if you have trouble with your antioxidant pathways those are the four main ways that i see people have difficulty with detox Interesting. so if you have three of those that are low functioning or if you have all four that function low then you're a setup to have problems with inflammation and yeah. the more inflammation you're faced with, the more complicated it is for you to deal with it. And so you add in a bad diet or difficulty based on where you live or where you work, you may get exposed to chemicals. So I've had people who are you know, ex- exposed to smoke because of the way um, they their work environment is, or people who get exposed to parabens or phthalates or glyphosates. These are all things we get exposed to through plastics or food or products and so if you just don't have the ability to detox well your skin it gets exposed to that and you absorb a lot of it and you don't clear it very well so then over time it builds up and it meets you know you have a threshold like everybody does and once you get past that threshold you become more and more symptomatic and like you mentioned stress earlier i mean goodness gracious everything's more stressful these days so It's surprising, like all of us don't have adrenal fatigue in some way, shape or form. I I feel like I do on a daily basis. So, um, you know, women in general are responsible. Many times they're working, they're taking care of kids they're managing households. I mean, that's, that's a pretty complicated equation. And if you throw in a device, uh, difficult with the, with diet, uh, a lot of my patients have gut problems. So their absorption is really impaired. So even if they were getting the right foods, they may not get their nutrients in that are needed. And so then that makes it complicated. That's why I've converted almost all of my pre-op supplementation that I can to liposomal, which means for the everybody in the audience listening, it's a liquid. So a lot of people mm-hmm. have trouble swallowing pills or they get pill fatigue. And we, I would just want everybody to do the best possible uh, with the program that we have. So a lot of it's liquid based. So it's easy to do a mouth spray for yeah. your B vitamins that are methylated, vitamin D3K2, which is the most easily, you know, absorbable form of vitamin D that's activated. And then, you know, we have our glutathione that's the same. It's a, it's a mouth spray. And of course, you know, I got to have a, a liquid vitamin C cause that's a great antioxidant.
0: Yeah. And that's part of your holistic accelerated recovery program.
1: Yeah, that's the supplementation. And we just based all of the all of our package is based on supporting those genetic pathways that you need to level up as much as possible. So if somebody has three of those four that don't work well and they have one that works well, well you want to make that one that works well, work even better while the others yeah. are getting, leveled up as much as you can. Now, if all four don't work well, you got to support all four and get your gut working better. So all of our program is not to react to a situation, but it's to be proactive to get you in the best possible position to lower inflammation. That's how you get the best yeah. recovery process.
0: Yeah. And what what percent of your practice is rest implant removal?
1: From the surgical side, it's basically a hundred percent.
0: 100%. Yeah. I mean, do you just are you just seeing such an increase in people who are wanting their implants out? Like To are, are me, it out will
1: become the most uh, performed plastic surgery procedure probably over the next five years.
0: Interesting.
1: Because now there's a lot That's more awareness. There's a lot yeah. less confusion about it. Hopefully, we've contributed to provide clarity to that through my show, Breast Implant Illness Expert, and then being on other shows like yours to share – you know, our experience I've done, like I said, over six, uh, it's about 1600 explants over like seven years and well over 3000 consults for it. So I see 40 or 50 people a week.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Um, what else is part of the, it's like, you, do you guys call it the harp program? This accelerated recovery program? Is there stuff you do post-surgery that's like unique
1: right so we talked a little bit about supplementation but all of that's based on preoperative testing and you know when i was trained
0: yeah i was going to ask that you do 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 you do genetic testing before you do all of your surgeries right it's
1: funny how i was trained and i had excellent teachers but back when i'm old now i'm 54 so when i was trained like you looked at a complete blood count your electrolytes a echocardi or i'm sorry ekg of your heart and basically a chest x-ray and they're like You're good to go, Morgan. You can have surgery. Everything's fine. Right. But if you're in your 30s, I mean, if all that's not fine, you got a problem. And the the things we do now are more based on functional genomics. So I want to know how your detox works, how you should be eating. Um, And that's a saliva test. It really gives about a 100-page report. We use the DNA company out of Toronto. It's It's been great in terms of formulating what we use for inflammation-lowering support. Um, then we look at a total tox test, and that's a urine test. And you want to see, like, has there been a big mold exposure? So it looks at all the various mycotoxins from molds. Uh, in particular, something like toxin from black mold. And then, of course, it's looking at heavy metals. Um, I discussed on the Skinny Confidential podcast like how many heavy metals can be in someone's uh, tox test, and then when you're when you're looking at um, think of like environmental exposure, it gets a little in the weeds here because not everybody's very familiar with some of the things I'm gonna talk about. Glyphosate is a desiccant and herbicide that's used on crops all the time. Yeah so when you get a a tox report that has glyphosate like my first tox report had glyphosate in i grew up not eating great foods and now you know my wife's great she makes sure like we have all organic stuff and it's all grass-fed no hormones well i grew up as a kid that that really wasn't a thing so that's one way to get glyphosate phthalates are plastics in plastics. so like a water bottle they make the bottle firmer And that stuff gets into the water and you drink it and you absorb it. And that's how you get phthalate exposures. It's also in receipt paper, the thermal paper on receipts. So it's a very common way to get phthalate exposures. And then a lot of things that you probably would know from products are as, as we want. And I tell all of our patients, like, do not get anything that doesn't say paraben free. Like you can't have parabens in your products. They're easily absorbed through the skin. And so you'll get a bunch of different exposures of those three out of like a litany of exposures that you can have. So you take that and couple it to, we do a food sensitivity test that looks at 250 foods and a gut microbiome test. We just are trying to figure out what triggers you and then how how many you know things are imbalanced in your gut. You add all that uh to some blood work to look at your hormones because your sex hormones are important and all the things i mentioned in terms of your gut and any kind of environmental exposures from parabens and phthalates they all are endocrine disruptors and women are particularly sensitive to that so your hormones can be on a whole I, i think i see just a ton of hormone imbalance thyroid hormone imbalance estrogen progesterone testosterone Um, In particular, you know, I, I get a lot of people with really suppressed libido. So think of that, like if your vitamin D metabolism is poor, if your methylation pathways don't work well, if your inability to, you know, handle antioxidants, like all the things that would be normal for sexual health and you have suppressed testosterone, like it's a wonder why people have poor libidos who have breast implant illness. Like all of it is just really complicated when you put it all together and look at it. So we get all that testing done through um, – it's all functional, like saliva, blood, urine, stool. We get all that. takes several weeks to months to get all of it back. We put you on the inflammation uh, lowering support bundle, and then if the tax test comes back poor, we're going to put you through phase one detox, and we have a partnership with CellCore, so we use – their products. And I have a practitioner who just focuses on that in my practice. Because of the way it's working. um, We take a time period of you know, four to six months to get people prepped usually for surgery. Before we do their explant. We have a series of medications we use the night before just to calm down the nervous system, decrease nausea, decrease inflammation. And then in the operating room, once I do an explant, we're taking everything out as undisturbed as possible because there are a certain number of breast implant associated cancers, as well as like my patient had an infection. So I don't really want any of those things getting into the spreading. pocket. Got it. And then we have a medication that's widely used called called Xpro and we numb all the areas up as, as much as possible so that when you're waking up, you don't really feel anything sharp or stinging Lasts about a week. Uh, okay. and I don't use drains. We've, we've worked out how not to use drains. Um, oh, that's especially nice. when I do fat transfers, we just connect the pocket with the spaces where I've done some of the fat removal. So it just drains internally. And then um, the next day folks come to my office, I have a hyperbaric chamber in my office and we have a lymphatic masseuse and lymphatic massage device. So we're trying to get all of that done while most people are here about a week. And then, then it's just about proper diet, supplementation, you know, I like people to just to walk and, you know, recover and not overstress themselves. So the more we have you here, the better. Some people try uh, to keep changing their plane tickets so they can't leave, which is totally fine yeah. with us.
0: That's great. Sign me up. This is like mommy camp or something. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to build a nice retreat for everybody. I just got to get that done. Um, and then people fun. head home, we see them at it's usually a month, virtually in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. And if I can get you at three or six months to come back in person based on logistics, that's good for me, especially if I've done a fat transfer. Um, the Got detox it. can resume remotely based on your previous testing. So it's a lot going on in, in a year, basically.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. And are you doing any of that like functional medicine testing and treatment with people who don't have implants? Like if you were going to do a fat transfer, which I want to talk about, Max, if you were going to do that, would you put them through the same program? I would. Yeah. What about people who just don't have anything? They don't need anything with their boobs and they just want to like feel better. I mean, all this program you're doing sounds great. Like, do I need to have a boob issue to do all that or no? So
1: right now we take care of our clients because I don't okay. have, um, I have over 9,000 active clients. So the, yeah crazy. it would be ideal to Too expand much. it, but currently we don't offer it outside of our patients and their caregivers.
0: Got it. Okay. Talk to me about fat transfer.
1: Sure. I Fat's the original filler. It's been around for over 100 years. And I'll explain it this way. Everybody wants like volume. And if you're just looking for a cup size, it's very easy to do a fat transfer. But normally, you know, people who want breast augmentation don't have enough tissue. And that's obviously why they're looking for breast augmentation. So I think it's more about you know, weighing risks and benefits and understanding who is potentially a setup for problems. So I do a lot of holistic transformations with fat. So I'll take fat from inner outer thighs, abdomen, anal area, and I'll transfer that to the breast. I don't do BBLs anymore, which is the same transfer to the butt. Um, I oh, focus right, on the okay. breast, and we do a bunch of those awake in the office. But if you're a low BMI patient and you need all those areas treated, or if you just want to max out you know, the removal process at one time, then we do those in the operating room under general. And we're running the same type of program. Fat works extremely well. You just want to make sure you understand someone's genetic profile, their toxicity, make sure they're on the proper diet for themselves, not eating foods that are going to trigger them or upset them. I don't operate on people that get bloated and swollen or are constipated. So I want yeah. to make sure those things are taken care of because I'm not going to make those better. I'm going to make them worse yeah. with surgery. So
0: yeah. Interesting. Everybody can have right. it. It's
1: just got to get through a process.
0: So you would say fat transfer is good for like, if you're trying to go up a cup size or maybe if you've like nursed three babies or like stuff like that, like, Oh, who's for a good sure. Care? Yeah. I
1: have yeah. I've done a lot of transfers and you know, ideally I call it the holistic mommy makeover where you're just taking all that fat and instead of using an implant, you just use your own fat with or without a lift. Yeah. So it's not that everybody can do it. Obviously there's patient selection factors. So I try to see obviously who is the best candidate for that and have a nice detailed conversation about it. And it if it fits well with their expectations, then that's a good procedure for them. And also fat transfer results can be addressed uh, and augmented in another setting. So that's, it's it's a, you know, it can be added to. It's not one of those things where are just like one and done.
0: Oh, got it. You might do it in addition to getting your explants out. Yeah. I see. And if you're just doing
1: it on its own, you can go back and get more fat added later. Typically, as we age, we gain fat. We don't lose it.
0: Yeah. So question for you. Um, why are you not doing the Brazilian butt lifts anymore?
1: I have to be explants to do.
0: Got it. Okay. So you're staying focused. I like it. And then you mentioned fats, the original filler, are people using fat like in f- instead of filler in their face or anywhere else, or is it just being used? You in can, like- but
1: the thing you should always worry about Morgan in your face is everything will heal. So you have to be very judicious and conservative with how much you're using. Cause once I said, once again, you're going to age and typically gain weight over time. You're not going to lose it. Yeah. So if you look at results over time with fat, and it, it's been put in a face, the people will get heavier looking.
0: Oh, interesting. Because it kind of like the fat grows. Yeah, it'll hypertrophy. Yeah. Okay. Is it true that when you do like liposuction and whatnot, like they always say like the fat grows back elsewhere? Is this true? Yeah,
1: I, I don't. I get asked that a lot. I, I guess <laughs> for me, you know, the easiest analogy I will say is when you take fat out of one place, You know, if it doesn't look like fat was taken out of there, then that means over time that person ate themselves out of a result. But typically, it's the thing that I said before, like you're gaining weight over time. So if you had some areas treated and others not, those areas can gain weight. So does that make sense? They look disproportionate.
0: Got it. But what if you just take the fat out and you don't put it anywhere else? Like, does it, it doesn't just... You know, I I think as a
1: contouring rule I try to follow is like, say when I do this, I'll explain how I do it. I borrow from the inner thigh, the outer thigh, the love handle area and the abdomen. And then we usually add skin tightening to anybody like 30 plus who's had kids because our skin doesn't get tighter over time. It gets looser.
0: Yeah. What's skin tightening?
1: So I use a body tight, which is a bipolar radio frequency device. It goes through the same little spot that I use to take the fat out I do it at the same time. It helps shrink down and tighten the skin over where you remove the fat.
0: Interesting. Okay. I have had three C-sections. So I have like this just very, and I I don't have like a high BMI. I don't know. You can really see me here, but like, I don't have like, but I do have like a little, I didn't have it as much after my first, but I'm noticing like after three, like the skin is just stretched out where my incision was and it drives me nuts. Like, what am I supposed to do about this? So Try body tight can
1: help that. You can also, okay. if it's indented, you can do a little bit of fat grafting. Those are the things where I've found minimally invasive ways to treat it so that it's not yet making another big opening that you have to heal.
0: Yeah, it's not like, is that a tummy tucks like a full on, they cut it. Yeah, like that's and I don't
1: really problem. do those uh, anymore. One, because the downtime is really not conducive to everybody's lifestyle now. And uh, I've had a few recently where people just kind of have gone off and done their own thing and had uh, problems because of it. So I try to at all adhere to the principle, like if I can get it done in a minimally invasive way and get a, a change that they're comfortable with, then that's the way to proceed. And then I let others who just want to go and get the whole shebang done, they can go do that. I, I've yeah. I've got a lot of other things that I got to get done for people. Yeah,
0: totally. Totally. Interesting. Um, God, it's so fascinating. So tell me about your own personal, like, it seems like you're pretty dialed in or like, what supplements are you taking aside from maybe the, like, if you're on the liposomal ones you mentioned before, but like, what are you doing? That's maybe a little bit more out there that folks at home wouldn't be, wouldn't have maybe heard of.
1: Wow. If you could see my desk. That would tell you everything. <laughs>
0: I'm a supplement junkie too, man. Like I have a problem.
1: Yeah, I go to a lot of meetings yeah. of health entrepreneurs and biohackers. So basically yeah. when I come back, there's usually a little Amazon truck waiting for me at the office with the supplements yeah. I got.
0: You're on timeline. Are you taking pendulum probiotics? Are you, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't do
1: probiotics. I like fast a lot. I do like to do that. I like, all things that are liposomal. So I take all okay. my own liposomals. And I certainly like um, a lot of detox things. And I also like astaxanthin, uh, fisetin. I always take a lot of resveratrol or Ishii. Um, I like liposomal NAD. I, I will dabble on a lot of things. I'm just looking around my desk. <laughs>
0: So funny, you mentioned astaxanthin. I like lived in South America for a few years and I was surfing like quite a bit. And I had read that astaxanthin was, I want, this is like 12 years ago and I want, 15 years ago, God, maybe even like 20 years ago now. I wanted to launch it like a healthy sunscreen, but I was taking Badger sunscreen and it was like so white and zinky. They, this was like, you know, non-nanoparticles, zinc oxide, right? And I was squeezing my astaxanthin, putting a pin in them and squeezing the pink into my Badger White sunscreen and creating my own because Astaxanthin has some like skin protection for SPF doing it. Yeah. yeah for big
1: there's all sorts of really great. I, I probably do too many sometimes if that's possible. Yeah. Because, what about
0: uh, diet? What are you doing diet wise? Oh gosh. Like what does a day in the life look like? Yeah.
1: I'm trying to do basically a Mediterranean diet. Um, I like a lot of fruits. Um, I do do a lot of protein. Like if I – I would be yeah. a pescatarian if there was good enough fish in Texas all the time to be pescatarian. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. Um, so if I'm on the coast visiting somewhere, that's all I'll have.
0: Yeah. Because in that's Texas, great. you'll get
1: a bunch of meat, which – our our meat's really pretty good quality. There's lots of great ranches around here. But I miss the trappings of being on the coast somewhere, either in our country or Europe, because uh, that's, that's my favorite thing to sit and order, whatever's daily – uh, and fresh caught.
0: Yeah. Um, this is like a random other question, but what's your take on like Botox and regular filler? So
1: I think I concentrate on some of the fillers that look more natural. So I like the RHA product by revance because it stretches when you smile or make any kind of, uh, facial expression. So I do like that. I'm pretty conservative with filler. I don't really like filler that looks overdone. I don't like super big. Yeah puffy lips or cheeks or things that obviously don't look natural. So I'm pretty conservative there. I think all of the um, different types of neurotoxins that really reduce the amount of human serum albumin you get exposed to. So botulinum toxin, Xeomin, there there are ones that have a lot less um, of human serum albumin. And that is nice. Uh, Botox still really uh, works well if you just want to relax, uh, lines, I do have products that actually take skin out and don't leave a scar. So probably everybody's heard of microneedling with Morpheus eight.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was the first yeah.
1: person in Austin to have that in 2018. Oh, crazy! And now I have some, uh, devices that take skin out and don't leave a scar. So mm-hmm. hollowed out microneedles will take skin out under suction. And the device we have is called Elacor. We combine it with some other tech I have, face tight, soft wave, and then do a neck lift. And that's my no-cut facelift, so I don't use a knife and still get a uh, facelifting simulation. And then um, I have stem cell uh, extraction in my office using your own fat. So because I use a lot of fat in general, we can take the fat out process it in office and give it back to you in the form of your own stem cells, either IV or atomized is for doing a no cut facelift, we can add stem cells to it, or if you want a facial with it, um, the the kind of best and you know, holy grail, if you will, is using your own stem cells, because it has your own genetic material. Um, so it's not a non autologous like uh, exosomes, which we have as well. So we have each of those options to give, you know, more enhanced wound healing. And I think, you know, knowing someone's genetics and offering them to be able to use their own um, stem cells, modify their diet, get them on the right supplements. I mean, you'll see people change pretty dramatically. The easiest person to take care of is somebody who doesn't know any of this. Like if they show up and
0: you
1: take out of their diet gluten and dairy and sugars that – bad for them and just process stuff in general and then i do you know traditionally i would do their explant and they just have like an epiphany they feel totally yeah. different because all their information drops now i get yeah. more complicated cases where everybody's seeing a naturopath integrative functional practitioner they're on supplements they may not be on the ones that i would pick for them they've done some testing they may have done some detox but now it's more of a they're aware that something's wrong. They don't know exactly how to treat it. And the, we're trying to work with different practitioners to help them get educated about this. We have a practitioner training program, so we'll help train practices cool. and then we'll help train surgeons.
0: Cool. And do you, are you, so you're doing like Morpheus satan. you're doing some, Face stuff as well in your office.
1: Yeah. So the two main things when we're at the surgery center, I'm taking out devices, taking out implants, yeah. and doing fat transfers or lifts or, or explants alone. And then in my office, I do all these other things under local. So we have Softwave, we have Morpheus 8, we have um, Eliquor, which takes the skin out without leaving a scar. We have face tight and body tight. We'll do light bone fat transfers in the office under local. And we do hair restoration under local and we can bind all these things with and without your own stem cells. Cause we have that in the office.
0: So cool. Are you worried about like Botox or filler for just like the same, I don't know, general toxicity, like the similar issues to breast implants or do you feel like they're safer than having an external device in your body? Yeah,
1: I haven't had the reactions. Now, if I have somebody who's a poor detoxer, um, I tell them to be much more judicious, especially with filler, yeah. because I have seen people have a, a response to that, like if they're incredibly sensitive or have lots of information. But once we're taking care of that, um, just, you know, being conservative with it, uh, I think is fine. I haven't had problems.
0: Interesting. OK, well, that's good to know. Great. Um, this is so wonderful to talk to. Uh, my last question I ask everyone this, but what's something most people don't know about you?
1: Oh my gosh, something that they don't know me about me. Oh, uh, (laughs) I guess everybody probably knows at this point, but I'm a big Ted Lasso fan, I get a kick out of that show. Um, I'm a big soccer fan, Austin FC is here and we go to Europe whenever we can to see, you know, football matches. My favorite artist is Batiste, most people don't know that. Um, What else? I just, uh, a great day for me is being able to hang out with my wife and relax, which we don't get to do very often.
0: Yeah. I love it. Thank you. That was like four great things. Well, I so appreciate you spending the time with us. I feel like I learned, more than I ever thought I would need to know about breast implant illness and all the things. So I, I super appreciate it. Will you let everyone know where they can find you um, so they can follow along or learn more if they want to?
1: Sure. We have a whole podcast that I devote just to breast implant illness. So it's the breast implant illness expert with Dr. Whitfield. um, And that's on Apple and Spotify and then we have a URL that's BreastImplantIllnessExpert.com. And then you can follow us on Instagram at BreastImplantIllnessExpert. If you want to learn more about cosmetic treatments, we have it's at Dr. Robert Whitfield on Instagram. And then we have um, a URL at Dr. com that focuses on many of those cosmetic treatments we talked about.
0: Cool. Okay, I have one last question that came in my mind. I'm going to be sad if I didn't ask you. The... Um Fat transfer. How long is recovery on a surgery like that?
1: So that's, I mean, I'm writing a book about surgical recovery. And the whole point yeah. of it is to decrease the time it takes to recover. So part of the process is basically what we talked about, making sure you identify the, pre- the things pre-op yeah. and then take time to adjust them. I think many people take so much time and build up in the decision-making process to have surgery That then they want to get it done like they have to just get it done as quickly as possible because it took them this much time to come to that conclusion where um i just want to make sure that morgan has the best possible most efficient shortest recovery that she can because that'll make you the happiest that'll make me the happiest when i see you because you'll be doing well quicker so the people that do the best quicker are the ones that run through our program And then we follow our process obviously that we discussed about in the operating room and then afterwards spend enough time with us so that we get you off to the right track with hyperbaric oxygen therapy or lymphatic massage therapy and really lymphatic massage helps get your body to detox you more quickly so the fluid or the swelling you experience is it can be dissipated much more quickly through lymphatic massage and we really find that hyperbaric oxygen therapy helps clear people up after surgery more quickly. Even in some instances, people certainly tell me uh, outright that it helps to reduce their pain from where they had fat removal. So all those things help you recover quickly. I usually can get people, you know, in and out of garments faster because of that sometimes in half the time. So people are up, especially if it's an awake fat transfer, the, the one I did this morning the lady got up and left and, and, There's no downtime. Crazy. So it's more a function of like, you know, once the swelling occurs, how efficiently do we get the fluid out? So she's coming here tomorrow to the office to have lymphatic massage with our German device that we use. And she'll do that a few times a week and then do a hyperbaric treatment. She'll maintain, you know, her supplementation and dietary uh, changes that we make pre-op and she'll recover more quickly. And I don't, I don't know that, like the downtime people normally associate with a procedure is really how I think about it anymore. If I'm doing more than a few areas, then we'll probably do that in operating room and we'll run the same process. And then it's more about how you clear, um, anesthesia. I have a great anesthesia team that I've used since really 2018. They know my program. They don't over-medicate my patients. So my patients all wake up relatively quickly and can go and then 30 or 40 minutes normally. So it's not a big, I don't have that worry in my head as a provider. Yeah. So my patients um, don't experience that problem after surgery. They're not having problems with nausea and vomiting and kind of the typical things or being too groggy. Yeah. Or, um, so the things that you normally equate with, you know, downtime, recovery periods, we, we work hard on the front end and in the operating rooms and then certainly in my office afterwards to avoid that.
0: Okay, so it doesn't sound like you're not like out of commission, bedridden for three weeks after you do like a fat transfer. You're like, no. no.
1: (laughs) You're gonna come to my office the day after, regardless. So you have to be with your with it to do that. So I have people come the next day against my wishes, driving themselves. So I mean, if that's just that's all you need to tell somebody.
0: Yeah. No, that's crazy. Cause that's quite different than getting implants. Like I remember when my mom got her implants, she was like out of commission for months. I mean, this was, it was a while. Like, no, nah, yeah.
1: it's nothing like that. I mean, it's more, okay. you know, it, it, anytime you do a fat transfer, you take fat from one place. So that causes inflammation at the site yeah. and then you transfer it to the, the space beneath the skin. So it's important. Let's talk about that for a minute. Like we do not put fat in the breast. That just makes cysts and problems on your mammograms. You put oh, fat be- fat beneath the skin because that's where the fatty layer is in everybody, everywhere, all over the body. So that's yeah. where the fat belongs.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, arms. What can you do for arms? Like if you wanted to lose fat in the in arms, like what would you suggest?
1: So we combine like fat removal and skin tightening, mm-hmm. and that will give you a more sculpted arm appearance.
0: Is there any like side effects of skin tightening?
1: Uh, You know, for us, you could you could potentially get like a a thickening effect, but I haven't had any where I felt like we've had to do anything. And you can always combine it, like I said, with microneedling or you can take skin out with my uh, device, Ellicor. So there's lots of ways that are minimally invasive now that really didn't exist even two years ago.
0: Oh, crazy. Crazy. Okay. Well, thank you for the extra bonus 10 minutes <laughs> of podcast. I'm fascinated. I appreciate your time. It was so wonderful to meet you and keep up the good work.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely.